Welcome back to the Shedding Skin podcast. I am your host, Jade Willow, and this is our very first episode. I'm so excited. Today, I'm going to be talking to my friend, Raymond Anthony Sanchez. He's the lead guitarist for Throne Into Exile. I've known Ray for a good number of years, I think five or six years now. And I can honestly say that he's one of the most authentic, genuine, kind-hearted people that I've ever known. And I'm really just so grateful for the level of vulnerability and honesty that he was able to express during our conversation. Uh, There are definitely parts that are entertaining, you know, and there's definitely parts that are just absolutely heartbreaking. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you gain a little bit of insight. It kind of really puts things into perspective and it really shows you the level of struggle that some people have to endure in order to attain a level of success. So their album drops today. So please go ahead and pick up your copy from iTunes or whatever record store near you. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, Raymond. Hello, Jed Willow. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm very tired, but uh, thankfully I have a beverage and I'm uh, showered now. So I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm also tired, but I'm excited. You're my first guest on this podcast. So I've been wanting to do this for like two years, like I told you earlier. And um, I'm really excited to talk to you. So, I'm very to talk to you too. Thank you very much for having me. It is quite the honor. Oh, yeah, dude, you're so welcome. I'm like, I was telling you earlier, like, I, I'm so honored that you're my first guest. Like, I couldn't think of a more like genuine, compassionate, just honest and thoughtful human being that I could have, like, as my first fucking guest. So we've been friends for what, five? <laughs> How long have we been friends? Five years? Six years? Oh, man. Yeah, I well, I moved to Los Angeles in 20 2014 mm-hmm. and i met you i met you pretty recent like recently after i moved so yeah i would say about five to six years man it's been a long time. crazy that's crazy yeah. dude time flies by it does i'm surprised anyone's tolerated me that long so thank you <laughs> <laughs> you deserve a medal <laughs> it's all good dude you know thanks to like social media platforms you're kind of able to keep in touch without keeping in touch nowadays because everybody gets so busy with their lives you know time just fucking flies by like that yeah i'm yeah uh, you know 12 hour days and you know more abound it, it's uh the social media definitely plays a role in keeping up with people when you're just you just can't be there for things you know so many canceled birthdays so many uh plans canceled and you know you can just see the photo rail after and it's like it's like you went there yourself okay so i know who you are but why don't you go ahead and tell our guests who you are okay um well um full name raymond anthony sanchez uh sacramento california is my hometown i was raised on the outskirts of sacramento in a town called dixon Mm-hmm. which is essentially a collection of hay fields with a few houses and gas stations uh, sprinkled in it. Now it's becoming a burgeoning metropolis, but it's uh, uh, growing up, it was a good place to grow up in that you had to have a dirt bike and an imagination to have any fun at all. It was very much a barren scene, very rural and 
very incumbent on the fact that there was no malls, there was no movie theaters, you know, a- anything that LA would have. I used to have dreams of Los Angeles and wonder like what it must be like to be in a city. Uh, son to uh, Victor Sanchez and uh, Leah Winona. My mom is a uh, native woman, so red woman. And then my father is a descendant of uh, Francisco Sanchez, who was born in Juarez, Mexico. Um, Francisco came here, had my dad. Uh, my dad was born in San Jose. And uh, yeah, I can't really say too much. Uh, that's terribly interesting. I have never drank alcohol. I've smoked marijuana three times, maybe, in my life. Really? Um, yeah. I, uh, I just never really had a reason to do anything like that. I've been playing guitar for about 16 odd years. And, uh, you know, I got my own place in uh, Los Angeles now with two cats who I love very much and I would much rather be found in a library or building a table uh, than at a bar or a party or anything like that. I'm uh, I guess kind of a 50 year old man trapped in a 29 year old's body. So (laughs) So you have old fashioned, old fashioned values and you come from a small town. Very much so. Yeah. My, uh, my parents got divorced when I was really on sway. My mom lived in Sacramento and then my dad lived in Dixon. Uh, so I got a taste of the rural aspect and then living in um, not a super busy city, but uh, uh, somewhere where there, it's it's more populated than a you know stark rural a- area. So I, I, I got a, a bit of a mix of, of both, but yeah, very um, old school traditional values. I grew up seeing my great grandparents uh, my great grandfather, uh, Hilton Bergstrom, is the patron saint of my whole life. If anyone at all ever likes anything about me, it is literally because I'm trying to act like him. It's mm. it's uh, he is, um, you know. People throw around the term like you know, like oh, you're not a real man, or like you know, I uh, you know, I, I need a real man. That that's that's him. That's that's the that's what a real man is or was. He was, he was balanced. So mm-hmm. he, he wasn't machismo, but he, he was everything that I believe a gentleman is and should be. He met his wife when he was nine and he passed away at around 96. Wow. So one woman throughout his, literally his entire life, Um, and there's an image that my father, uh, mentioned, I I guess I was just a baby, but, um, there's an image that he said will never leave his head. And it's a dinner table. Uh, Hilton, my granddad was sitting at, at the head of it. Uh, he had the paper in his hand and he was reading and it was Thanksgiving. I think my mom was holding me and uh, my dad was there. My aunts were there, and then uh, my, not my great-grandparents, but my grandparents were also there. Uh, Margaret, his wife, was going and serving the turkey and everything, and he just had this big smile on his face, reading his paper, um, 
you know, very old guy, big glasses and, uh, you know, bald head, but he had a gun on his side. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was this very sweet, very collected, very um, calm individual. But if you messed with his family, you know, it was, it was very notable that, you know, you, you wouldn't live to, to brag about it. And uh, the, the cool thing about it is that he didn't have to vocalize um, any threats or anything like that. He, he didn't feel the need to entertain people's um, uh, misword or, or, uh, or egos or anything like that. He just mm -hmm. was who he was. He wasn't very political, um, which I think I get from him because I'm not terribly political either. Um, He's very devout, which uh, unfortunately I didn't get that gene from him. Uh, <laughs> I don't but, think uh, a lot of metalheads do. Yeah, uh, but <clears throat> God, he uh, he he taught me every good lesson in in life. He taught me everything about um, not just how to be with a woman, but how to properly like court a woman and how to. Um, simple thing like how to how to shake a hand like you know when you you know shake someone's hand firm grip and then you make you know direct eye contact with them and uh that's a, a lost art nowadays and tell me about uh, it yeah and uh he he passed away from uh from uh lung cancer and uh for i was 13 or 14 at the time and uh yeah i remember when he got when we got the news that, that he, he had it, um, I think Margaret had been passed away for a few years. And you can tell that he was still very happy because he, he was always just a very happy, genuine um, human being. Mm -hmm. And then when Margaret left, uh, he was happy, but it was, it was in just kind of like, a, you know, he's, he, he, he's waiting to go so that he can see her again almost as if she was sitting on a bench, just like waiting for a bus, waiting for him type thing. Um, so I think in his head, you know, his companion in life was not there anymore, but he still wanted to enjoy life while he had it. So when we got the news that, uh, you know, he, I mean, cause he, he, he was up there. We're talking about a guy who in his nineties was riding 11 miles a day on his bike. You know I mean? He just did not stop. He never cussed, he never drank, uh, which I guess plays a role in probably why I don't either. Uh, I, I cuss a lot, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> as far as the drinking thing. Um, yeah, he, he, he didn't do anything like that. He just never, he never found a home in anything like that. Uh, but uh, going back to it, he, unfortunately, we kind of had to watch him wither, which I think, you know, happens with cancer. And I think at, at his age, it was, it was, you know, the oncoming uh, punch of his clock was imminent. And so we kind of just had to make him comfortable until he left. But I did get to have a lot of very meaningful conversations with him before that happened. And I was at the age where, you know, I was figuring out what, uh, you know, who, 
I was and who I was being told I should be, college, this and that, those questions start to come up at around that age. And he essentially, one of the last things he said to me was, find what you love and let it kill you. Hmm. Uh, Charles Bukowski. Yeah. And, and, and so he, he, um, he was very, he was very studious. Like he read a lot. He was always learning things. He, he loved to, um, he loved to just fill his head with, uh, information from all sides of every coin. And, um, he just, he didn't judge anyone, no matter who they were. Um, and no matter what, if you were in a room with him for 15 minutes, you would walk away feeling like you were the most important, awesome person who ever walked the earth. He just had that gift. Um, very much a uh, love one, but serve all type of gentleman where, you know, hold, holds the doors, pulls the chairs out, you know what I mean? Like things that uh, now I try to do and I think kind of confuse people, um, <laughs> especially when I got to Los Angeles, like calling people sir and ma'am kind of got me some some cross stairs like <laughs> but then back home it's mandatory you know like you know it's like oh you know did you do the dishes yeah yes what yes ma'am I, I did <laughs> you know so um but yeah so when he when he left I, I remember I came home from school it was my sophomore year and uh my dad saw me coming up the drive and he uh went out and I remember we were on our lawn and uh, my dad has always, I think, been conditioned to be a very, you know, type Stoic. of, right. So not really, you know, he's, he's definitely a goofball, definitely the life of the party, but as far as like the, the tender side, I think that he's, uh, he's very poetic but I think he's been conditioned to not show it throughout his life. And so seeing him with the look that he had on his face and, and um, you know, he, he loved Hilton as well as, as did everyone, but mm. uh, he told me, uh, you know, yeah, he, uh, he passed away while, while you're at, at, at school. And so hearing that, um, I think something very, very soft and tender um, broke in me. Um, there's a song lyric that goes, um, a boy's last dream and a man's first loss. I think that that was that moment where, you know, something something happened. There, there was a switch in yeah. me that, that, that left that day because after that, I started giving more attention to the ugliness of the world instead of the beauty in it. I started noticing that, you know, people at school, uh, you know, would be bullies. And, you know, I uh, was not the most popular kid, uh, as, as I remember. Um, you know, not, not that I was like, you know, horrendously ridiculed or, or, or everything like that, but like, you know, th there, there was like, you know, two or three kids who just, you know. They bullied you? Sure, yeah, like, you know, you you, uh, you rub people the wrong way sometimes, and especially mm -hmm. looking like this in a, you know, town where a lot of people are wearing camo, 
Um, (laughs) It's it's uh, out here in Ohio. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of tends to set people off, especially back before the days um, where I think that the PC culture was really a thing. I think a lot of things were more taboo. uh, Leninated, yeah, and 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 so uh, taboo uh, in in the fact of like you know some things you just didn't talk about, mm-hmm. but then also leninated where it's there, there was a lot of like uh, boys will be boys type of approach instead of like you shouldn't do that, right? right. Um, but I remember that was definitely the start of um, that was that that was the start of something uh, that I think was hard forged for what would come in the later years of just how I embraced anything that that came and uh it wasn't until I think recently where I uh tried to implement a big shift in the opposite direction where you know I just metaphorically tried to take an axe and break down that wall um but I, I I still uh even though I, I, I'm not really of, of the religious thing, you know, I mean, I've, I do believe that there's something else after this. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, I know there's different religions, so, you know, you one consider? God, different religions. So I guess it's just a, a matter of, you know, what long distance company you pick. So, <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I still, I still talk to him. You know, I, I still uh, have thoughts where, you know, I'll uh, something good will happen and, and, you know, I'll attribute it to, to him. I'll be like, hey, thanks. You know, like uh, I got whenever I get like a good tip or something like that, I always, you know, just instinctively attribute it to like him kind of walking with me or when, you know, I, I work as a furniture mover, so sometimes there'll be like a really big piece mm-hmm. and now I'll have to like stand it up in the truck and I'm just like, there's no way this is going to stand up. <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be able to fit all of this. And then we shut the truck and I, it fits by like that much. And so when it, when it, you feel the, you know, the satisfaction of like it barely, barely making it and you got out scot-free like that, then it's like, all right. Thanks. Thanks, pal. You know, so that's, uh, that's the little, um, I guess, carry on that I have with him now, other than just trying to be what I remember him being. And, uh, it's like that saying goes, uh, you know, to live in the hearts of those you left behind is not to die. So he's very much alive in my, uh, now, um, single house. So, (laughs) So it's pretty good thing. He's he was the best. Man, I think I kind of love your grandpa. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the perfect fucking man, let me tell you. And they sure don't make men like that these days. And I, you know, I've known you for a while now and I can definitely say that you carry a lot of those traits, you know, you're very much a gentleman, you're very respectable, you treat women very well um you are you always say ma'am and sir that's true um but I'm really glad that you had such a positive influence in your life at least you know for for a while to kind of show you what it means to be a decent human being and for you to carry the torch and try to emanate that is very respectable and commendable because a lot of people 
maybe you wouldn't do that. You know, like you were saying, there was this switch in your head, which I can absolutely relate to too. I went through a different experience, but I also experienced that switch and it made me, it didn't make me be a better person. I can tell you that much. So, so the fact that you still tried to be that and are that, um, I just, I really admire you for being the kind of person that you are. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up in Los Angeles. You said you're from Sacramento. Yeah. So from Sacramento, um, raised around the outskirts of, uh, um, Sacramento. So it goes Sacramento, Davis, Dixon, Vacaville, Fairfield, and then it goes into like the, the Bay area of like Vallejo and Oakland and Richmond and so on. Right. Right. So, um, between Sacramento and, um, Vacaville going on to Fairfield it's separated by a lot of uh, just open kind of uh, plains and, and stuff like that so I came to the crossroads of I graduated high school when I was 17 and of course that question goes of like what happens now so uh, I think the day that I turned 18 my dad um, you know me being the oldest I think he was um, a, a little bit less lenient on me and a little bit more rough and tough because, you know, uh, I, I call my, I call myself his scratch paper because, uh, mm-hmm. everything that happened with me happened for the first time. And so I think as, uh, as older kids, you know, parenting does, yeah, parenting does with the, yeah, parenting <laughs> does come with an instruction manual. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you know, your first kid turns 18, what do you do? Like, I make him pay rent, I guess. And so, you know, I turned 18 and my dad's like, cool, well, I hope you enjoyed your birthday yesterday, uh, $250 a month. So I was like, negative. So I moved out. <laughs> uh, I stayed with uh, my aunt. I stayed with a friend of mine, you know, to couch surf and whatnot. And um, I realized that I, kind of dipped my hands in a few things but all I knew was that I really liked to play music mm-hmm. and of course I mean you know you can't uh you know support a household you know playing music but I wasn't really worried about supporting a household um so I knew that I liked teaching music because I had been teaching music since I was 15 mm-hmm. and so I had heard of this school uh, the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles, which I'd never been to. Um, and uh, apparently you can go and get a degree there and, you know, you can go and get, uh, you know, credentials to further your career in teaching music and, you know, maybe go and teach at a college or something like that. And that I, the idea of that seemed really interesting, which um, for me, a good idea only becomes a great idea if you act on it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I have a bunch of stuff where I'm like, oh, that would be cool. You know, a man, that would be awesome if that would happen. But then I wouldn't make any motion to go and um, make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so I sat on that idea for a while and I, um, I was in a band at the time with a couple buddies of mine. And mm-hmm. uh, funny enough, I was playing bass. It was one of my um, students. I remember that. Wait, what were they called again? I can't remember. Um, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> okay. You they, don't uh, have they, to remember. It's okay. They they, uh, they called themselves uh, Frail Sanity. It was uh, Anthony Soli. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anthony Soli, Garrett Wood, uh, Mac Rocks, and then me. So we played around the um, Solano County area, which is like the Dixon, uh, Davis, uh, Vacaville type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so we played around there a lot. And we even, uh, for the first time, went to Los Angeles and we played at the Whiskey A Go Go, the esteemed Whiskey A Go Go. And mm -hmm. you know, for a couple, you know, bumpkins like us, we were like, oh, wow, wow, there's stars on the ground. And like, you know, all the <laughs> It's crazy like we we're seeing all of it for the first time and like you know deja vu showgirls what like it's just <laughs> a bunch of, you know just a bunch of kind of you know where our innocence went to die basically so, yeah. <laughs> i think you can say that for a lot of people in los angeles dude <laughs> yeah i it, was born uh, did yeah no kidding and so <laughs> we went there and we decided that we all loved it and I had already had the idea like, okay, I definitely want to go and be a teacher. I definitely want to go to the school. I went outside the school and talked to, uh, I don't even know who I talked to, uh, some, someone over there. And they were like, yeah, you know, they told me everything that I needed to do to go to that school. Mm -hmm. And so we thought about it for a bit and we all uh, decided to uh, go to that school. I think uh, Max left. Uh, Max was a drummer, and mm -hmm. Anthony, Garrett, and I moved to Los Angeles, and we ended up, so I was staying at uh, Garrett's house, uh, I, I think in his uh, back room for about five to six months. Uh, his parents were just assaulted their people, and so they actually made a savings account for me, like with whatever I, I gave them, I think it was like 200 bucks a month. Um, That's nice of them. Oh yeah, they're in, in, in incredible people. And uh, so we all decided that we're going to go to the Musicians, uh, Musicians Institute. And so we, I had a 2001 white Dodge Dakota Sport that I believe my granddad had uh, passed down to me. Uh, not Hilton, but uh, uh, my uh, first grandpa, uh, Randy. And so uh, we piled into my truck and I had everything I owned basically. And then I think Anthony had his car as well. And we landed on Wilcox and DeLongpre in West Hollywood, right by the CNN building. And we went from living on the edge of an alfalfa field <laughs> to that yeah overnight and so was that we a culture arrived, shock for you I, <laughs> yeah it was it was very very uh for, for me especially i think i i was just like this isn't fun anymore because <laughs> like i'm not visiting i live here now like this is a cool place to visit but at the time i was like i don't know mm. and so um I, I, I brought my truck because we were going to all jump on the insurance on it because uh, it was the band vehicle. Uh, mm -hmm. We were going to continue the band down there uh, or down here, I should say. I'm still here. Um, so <laughs> um, so we, we get this apartment and I learned or we all learned that um, Anthony 
couldn't get a check cast or something like that because his idea had expired. And so at a last minute ditch effort, uh, they had found this apartment and for the deposit, they needed a bit more. And so I used to work at Guitar Center and I found one and I just uh, had an idea. I was like, well, why don't I pawn my guitars? Pains me just to say it. Uh, and why don't I pawn my guitars uh, just to get the money for the deposit? And then you guys can help me pay it back later. Mm. And uh, they were like, you know, are you sure, man? Like, you know, that's, that's a really, I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, you know, you guys are my friends. You guys are my friends. And Fuck. so, right. Yeah. You see where well, this They're being blasted so, right now. They're being blasted. Mm. Well, you know, <laughs> fucking you get for the fucking you gave. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm not. Anyway, so. <laughs> um, so we, um, that happens. And uh, I won't give uh, explicit details, but um, in the span of a few months, um, <laughs> uh, one of them leaves. Uh, Mid-lease, I come back from school uh, to find my truck is gone. And when that happened, uh, it was no longer our truck. It was my truck. So I couldn't afford to get it out of the impound. Uh, so there it went. I learned that the guitars had gotten sold from under me all but one, which is uh, this guy right here. So that was funny. Oh boy. So never, never saw a dime for that. Um, I think I had a girlfriend who was um, uh, cheating. So that was cool. Uh, it was an off and on thing. Uh, but, you know, that was like one of the final nails in the coffin that really kind of did it in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my, uh, Oh yeah, one of the guitars that uh, got sold out from under me was a guitar that my granddad had gave me, not Hilton, uh, Randy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then Randy passed away. Damn it. All in the span of a few months. And so- Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, so uh, so that, that all happened. And uh, I was working at, Walmart, which funny enough, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Walmart and Baldwin Hills mm -hmm. off of Crenshaw. I remember I used to take the 210 uh, to Baldwin Hills and I would go work from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. I would go to school from nine to anywhere between one and four. Mm -hmm. I would get whatever sleep I could, practice whatever I could muster and mm -hmm. then I went to work again <laughs> and I did that for a while and um I was I was just very very uh not in a good way so now I have to go essentially go help bury my granddad and I am sitting at a like Mexican diner uh in West Hollywood by the stars. I wish I could remember the name of it. It's really good. Um, but um, I was there with an old friend of mine and she said, uh, you know, she, it was kind of just like a therapy process, just like, you know, 
how are you feeling? What are you doing? And I'm just like, I want to die. <laughs> this is the worst decision I ever made in my entire life was coming here. And, you know, just laughing just to keep from crying, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, I, this, nothing matters to me anymore. I, I, I want to go home. This, this sucks. And so she said, well, I kind of have a proposition for you. Uh, and I think that it might help. Uh, and up to this point, I had been asked to join a few bands, but nothing really stuck because I wasn't really here to join a band. I was here to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. So uh, she says, well, I have a friend of mine who is revamping uh, a lineup of this band. I'm in. And already I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want it. And she's like, no, no, no. I like I think that this is more up, up your alley. I, I really think that you should give him a, a call. Do you mind if I uh, pass his info along? Um, and I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. And so uh, we get in touch and I get a call from this uh, very astute, very um, well-spoken gentleman of a human being. And the first thing he says, I'm, I'm at school and I'm just like, yeah, because <laughs> I'm just all, all this is happening. So I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, you know, Good afternoon, man. Uh, you know, my name is Mauro Rubio. Uh, I just, you know, got your number from, you know, insert friend's name here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, first, I just want to ask, how are you doing compared to all the other ones who were like, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to be the next Motley Crew, bro. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, dude, cool. <laughs> and so every and, L.A. This, band ever. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, oh, fucking okay. So um I, there was like three of those, you know, just coming up and I'm just like, go take a long walk. Yeah. I'm like, go take a long walk off the short pier. Not interested. (laughs) Um, but this guy was the exact opposite in every way. And he said, you know, first off, how are you? And I'm like, I feel like a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest. How are you? And so, um, he said, really um politely just you know i understand that you know you're, you're going through some stuff right now um if, if you have the time we have some demos here we'd love to see what you can do with it uh are you able to make just a short video over this section and i was like yeah sure and so every now and then on facebook memories my odd audition tape will kind of uh recirculate and every time i remember the exact day that it was because the the it was the night before I left to go home to you know see everyone you mm-hmm. know to handle the funeral process and everything mm-hmm. so in the video you could tell I'm 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 just not having it and so I'm just doing the bare minimum of just like okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm just like wooly wooly woo fuck you know (laughs) i I don't i don't really care um but it was it was cool music and it it resonated with me because it definitely didn't sound like you know it was trying to be uh anything but itself and Mm -hmm. so i gave it the old college try i sent it off and i'm like cool um I'll be back in a few days. And so, you know, he was very understanding, very cool about it. I get back and he said, yeah, we really like what you did. We'd really like to meet. So he comes to meet me at the school 
Uh, and then we go and I think we meet the singer who at the time was Henry Derrick. And uh, he just gives me the lowdown. Like, you know, we're, uh, uh, this is who we are. Uh, you know, I started this band and he gives me the whole story. Uh, you know, the band is called Thrown Into Exile. And, uh, you know, we've been a band around here for a while, you know, toured Mayhem Fest and whatnot. And then I remembered it clicked. I saw them on the Mayhem Fest. Oh, and I, I remember because Mario has gigantic hair. And I remember like yeah, he had this like sick Jackson that I wanted and I was in the crowd. I was like, man, what a cool band. So I actually saw Thrown Into Exile in the first iteration of them uh, on that circuit. And I, I didn't even know it. And then I clicked. I'm like, wait, I remember you. I, you don't remember me, obviously, because I was in the fucking crowd. I was mm. no one, still no one. But like, I was like, yeah, like, that's crazy. I, I've seen you before. And he was like, oh, cool. Yeah. And because uh, they came to uh, Sacramento or some somewhere out there. Anyway, so um, we go to a practice. I meet, uh, I meet the, the rest of the guys. And, you know, uh, they said, OK, well, you can't. Uh, you can't tell anyone about this because it, it's like a, it's like a resurgence. Like, you know, we have to, uh, we have to execute this plan of attack, uh, correctly. Mm -hmm. So at, at that time with the frail sanity stuff, I learned that, uh, one of the guys was plagiarizing, uh, music that I did. And I learned that he was, um, bad mouthing, just, just being an all around, uh, shit snack. So he got found out and I got in touch with a few of uh, the people that he was messing around with. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, yeah, so here's proof that your roommate's a shit brick. And uh, I went and confronted him and said that he was never to uh, talk or speak to me again, uh, you know, for my own instruction. Mm -hmm. And uh, little did he know I, I was, uh, and now in the secret fold of this uh, upcoming thing. Mm -hmm. So December 24th, or was it December 26th, uh, 2014, the Whiskey A Go Go was a sold out show with Death Angel, we were direct support. Oh, nice. And so this, yeah, it, it, was, it was crazy because I had never even played anything close to a sold out show before. So I go in there, there's all these people and, you know, everyone else is calm because they're like, yeah, we've done this a thousand times. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're in the green room. I'm like, we have a green room? I've never <laughs> been in a green room before. Like, just, you know, that's that's crazy because mm -hmm. when we came here with Frozen Sanity, I think we had to stand outside. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, whoa, green room. Wow. You know, and they're just, I'm trying not to act green, but I'm, I'm geeking out. And, uh, it, it was it was just crazy and um so we go on stage um uh, i had a few people recognize me like holy shit that's that's that guy um which is how most people know me it's like oh that's that guy <laughs> um <laughs> and so funny enough who do i see in the crowd but my roommate with oh my God. someone it doesn't matter and so he's macking on someone and he looks up at me and you just see his face go white like <laughs> and, so, and so i look at him because he, he was always of the fascination that like he wanted to be the the rock star right uh -huh. which my definition of a rock star is falling in love with a version of yourself that doesn't exist 
right? Like you have to believe that you're elevated above everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, it's an idea that I don't try to find a home in. I don't Mm -hmm. identify with that at all. I, 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 thank you. Uh, yeah. (laughs) and, And so that's, if I was to give off any persona or character, like it, it would just be the guy who's not good at playing a character. <laughs> the guy who's not good at playing a part. The guy who's just like, yeah, I, 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 I tripped on, on the way to the stage. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're real. Uh, you're authentic. You don't try to be like this big rock star guy. You just kind of do what you do and your talent flows naturally. You're actually really fucking good guitar player for those, for those of you that don't know, he's actually really fucking good guitar player. Anyway, go on. She's just very nice, but, um, (laughs) but thank you. Um, so yeah, we played that first show and that was cool. Um, and I was still living in the apartment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I got back from that night and I think he left. (laughs) So now it was just, me and I think my friend Alex, who had came from another place to just kind of help with the bills. Mm-hmm. And so now it was just me and Alex. And so I got another friend of mine uh, to come in to help with the bills until basically the lease ended. Uh, and then the lease ended and it was just me. And it was like, oh, I'm an adult. What what happens now? And so I was I still had the job, but I, I was, I was homeless. Basically. I was like, Oh, okay. So I'm just going to go stay at a friend's house, but you know, you can only stay at a friend's house for so long until you overstay your welcome. Mm -hmm. And so there definitely came the night where I was at work and, uh, I didn't, I didn't have any, anywhere to go. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, I've, uh, I can, I can face this, you know, I mean, I just, I just recently lost, uh, everything essentially, uh, because I placed so much value in that, which I owned. So, you know, I didn't necessarily own things, uh, so much as those things owned me. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, now I didn't really have a lot. Um, Mario basically had to lend me a guitar to be in the band and I used that guitar for years I think like he he really brought me out of uh the gutter there and you know with uh bringing me in, into the fold mm-hmm. so at the building that I worked at with with uh Walmart and uh Baldwin Hills there was a stairwell so there was uh it was a multi-tiered building mm-hmm. and uh there was a stairwell where and just led up to the roof and basically nowhere and no one really went up there so being that i knew that um i bought a body pillow <laughs> can't believe i'm saying this so i bought a body pillow and i i think i had my guitars at mario's house or someone's house mm-hmm. um and i just one day fell asleep on the body pillow and i used i think like my jacket as a pillow and I did that for a few weeks, a while. And I got a gym membership. I went to the gym to shower and everything like that. There was a gym like right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I basically did that for a good bit. And during that time, uh, 
we had started writing the debut album, uh, Black Throne in Exile, called Safe Inside. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a lot of what you hear there uh, in a stairwell or in a practice room. And that's, you know, it's, I can't really get more on, honest than that. And so um, one day they find all my stuff and all my stuff is gone. I'm like, great, it happened again. They stole my fucking duffel bag. <laughs> you know, the few shirts that I had in there on my toothbrush and shit. Um, and so they were like, yeah, you, you, you can't do that. You know, you're not fired by any means, but you know, other people have tried to do that and you, you, you can't do that. And so I go, okay, well, it's like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, can I just do it for the night? And they're like, yeah, no, you can't mm-hmm. do that. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, fuck. <laughs> Right, and, and so they're like, well, I mean, we can, we can call a shelter for you, and I'm just like, oh, jeez, fuck, and so I'm like, no, I'll, I'll figure it out, and so I remember I didn't have a phone at the time because it broke, and uh, so I, but I had a tablet, mm-hmm. I had a tablet, I had a skateboard, and I had a duffel bag, <laughs> or no, not even a duffel, it, it was a backpack, mm-hmm. it was a backpack with like a blanket and a toothbrush in it, and so I go outside. And I just, I look up at this guy and, and like, it's Baldwin Hill. So, you know, you hear, you know, people shouting, you hear stuff like that. Um, and I just go to a park and I work night shifts. So I'm like, okay, it's my day, night, night off. Um, I just, I want to go to bed. So I'm just going to find somewhere to sleep, I guess. Uh, and so I found a park bench and I was like, well, this is just as good a place as any. And so I just laid down on a park bench and I was just like, wow. Okay, here, here it is. And uh, there was a lady like on the other side who was just like walking back and forth, like all weird and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, people uh, in that situation sometimes do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yeah, this this isn't a good thing. Okay, I need to go. And so I skated from Baldwin Hills uh, off of Crenshaw to Santa Monica uh, because I don't even think I had money for the bus um, in in cash. Well, by by the time I needed to get to a bus, they were all closed and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Be, because uh, Santa Monica was the only place where I'd seen where people can just sleep out in the open and not really be bothered. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, okay, well, let's go there. So I get there and the sun's coming up. It's like four or five in the morning. I've been skating for hours. And unfortunately, I'm stupid and I can only skate one way. So I'm just one leg is sore. Oh, man. You know what I mean? So I, I, I get there and I just collapse. I'm just like, okay, I've reached my limit. I'm going to go to sleep. And I wake up and I hear ocean waves. One side of my face is burnt because I fell asleep like this or something like that. Um, and people are just walking around. Like people are like, they don't even notice. And there's like other people sleeping on the beach. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And so I just, walk around um you know i i have my aunt and the other people um help me out with cash and everything like that and i just kind of had this joke of a thought um you know 
I've always wanted a beach house. <laughs> and I think uh, that introduction of humor into kind of a dismal situation mm-hmm. helped in some odd way. And so I just, I just walked around. I was just like, okay, well, I have nowhere to be and I have all day to get there. So might as I'm well go for a swim. I'm at, I'm at, I'm in Santa Monica. I'm going to go get breakfast, I guess. I don't even know what fucking time it is. Um, and then for a while I slept under the pier in Santa Monica. I, I remember you telling me that Why, yeah. way, way back then. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. I think, uh, when I met you, I think I was living in that practice room. So I got into, I don't even know if this is legal to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, so I went into a, uh, a situation where I had a, a practice room mm-hmm. and I still had the job at uh, Baldwin Hills. And so I guess one rule was that you couldn't live there. But I had the advantage of having a night job. And so I would go to the practice room, which was, I think, like a seven by eight room with like no windows. It was just a box. And you turn off the light, like you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But I can keep my guitars there. I had like a shelf and I had that body pillow. (laughs) And that was my bed, basically. Uh, And it was this tiny room where I make as much noise as I want whenever I wanted mm-hmm. and I realized there I I don't I don't need a lot I have a couple shirts a few pairs of jeans you know some kicks whatever uh there's a market right across the road um you know I was fucking broke because I was you know still paying school loans uh and uh I think rent there was like 345 a month and yeah, I would come in in the morning and he would think like, oh, cool, you're going to practice. I'd be like, yeah, dude. And then I would just go to bed and I'd wake up. Around, <laughs> I would wake up around like seven or eight or something like that, uh, all depending. Uh, and then I would leave at night and I would go to work. And I just did that for months. And um, I think I got my mail at Mario's house. <laughs> Like I lied and said that I lived at Mario's house. And so every now and then he would just bring me my mail. Um, and then, yeah, I wrote a lot of that record in that little room. And then I went to go try to get a, another room with a friend, ended up falling through. And then I was, uh, I was kind of down and out again. Mm-hmm. So, so this is months later and, uh, I kind of regret doing that because it, it, uh, it it was actually kind of a nice little setup i was like yeah I, it's fine i could afford it and i don't need much anyway mm-hmm. um LA, and then I, I get a call from my dad is like you should you should just uh come home and i'm like nah you know i, I want to make it on my own and then the fucking uh baldwin hills walmart shut down so everyone got laid off i was like oh yeah maybe i should just go home a little bit. and so uh i uh, moved back in with uh, uh, my dad, and I realized that I was not accustomed to living with people. Um, it, it actually, I think the first night I had slept on a cot, I think, in my dad's garage. Uh, 
and sleeping like on a mattress was odd to me like it was, it was weird uh and i think i had for a while i had like nightmares about waking up in, in a room that was just pitch black which i would do sometimes like i would wake up in that room and the only thing resembling a light would be my phone going off to like wake wake me up mm -hmm. uh, but other than that it was pitch black like i would open my eyes and see nothing and so i would have nightmares like that where i would be in that little room and everything up to that point like you know in the dream had not happened like oh no you're still in that room and uh that happened for a while but i was back home i was in sacramento and uh i had this kind of gorilla way about me where <laughs> you know like if i needed to get anywhere i'm like oh i'll just get there like why don't you ask for a ride ray why don't you do that i'm like oh no 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 it's fine i'll just i'll, I'll take a bus i'll, I'll skate there and like I can give you a ride and, and so I'm like oh oh yeah okay you know oh, yeah, uh, that's your thing. right so I, I kind of I had to get accustomed to like you know life like that um and normally I would be absolutely um you know anti you know moving back in but you know I I did miss everyone I just felt very despondent and, and disconnected from family and everything and hmm. Uh, before I had left, I remember just such a very quiet existence, um, apart from playing in a, you know, double bass heavy metal band, um, because I would go to a night job where you wouldn't see anybody. They would have you in your little task area. You would do a job and you would fuck off. Mm -hmm. And then I would go and skate home uh, after taking like a bus and a, the red line. And um, <clears throat> wow, yeah, and it was just so quiet all the time because uh, I um, I I worked a night job, so my days off were at night, and I didn't really have anywhere to go. So I remember there was a bar um, that I would go to, and I think I saw the Giants win the World Series. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm from Northern California. I like the Giants. Mm -hmm. And so I got back into sports. And then uh, I was missing home. And I grew up on blues and country music. And so I got back into blues and country music because it made me remind myself about where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so there was a shift from listening to Cannibal Corpse every day, you know, to like, oh, maybe I'm going to listen to Kenny Rogers today. Or <laughs> something like that because it reminds me of my dad and I, I just you know miss my dad and everyone mm -hmm. um, and so being in Sacramento again I uh, ended up moving in with a friend of mine uh, Jennifer and um, I think uh, I was on unemployment for a while uh, unemployment ran out I got a job uh, it Macy's just doing like grunt work because I mean they're not going to have me sell perfume I mean what the fuck do I know about that but they're like we need our vents cleaned I'm like I'll do that so <laughs> and then I met this um this beautiful woman who I had known uh just off and on for a while and uh we meet and safe inside comes out uh and it's it's received well uh and so i travel from sacramento to los angeles back and forth on the amtrak train to play shows 
And then when the show is done, uh, I take like a 1.30 a.m. bus to go back mm -hmm. because I hated Los Angeles and I never wanted to go there again. <laughs> and how so, did you guys how did you guys practice during that time i think being that i was uh fortunate enough to just have the unemployment thing i would stay at um the bass player dave's house for like a week mm -hmm. and then he would just drive me to practice so we would go long intervals without seeing each other mm -hmm. and just practice at home and then we would go and i would stay there for like a week or two weeks or something like that mm -hmm. and then i would trip around uh burbank where he lived uh, which is the first time I'd ever been to uh, Burbank. Mm. And um, yeah, we would just practice and go over any notes and go over like our, our, our shows, uh, you know, the choreographed, you know, spin your head around in circles thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the, the show would happen, you know, do your thing. And then uh, I would go home. And so with this girl, I had been, um, I, I, I had dated around and I had, you know, uh, prospects of who I wanted to have as, as that role because ultimately subconsciously I'm always trying to be like Hilton and so with her I was like oh man I think this this is probably this is the way and then I get a call from um, management uh, of the band saying hey we need you to move back down you know we have all, all these things planned and I was like fuck I don't want to go back there ever <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like yeah well, we we need you to um and so I'm like, oh, there's this girl, okay. Um, and so I go and I tell her like, hey, remember when I said I was a musician and that I leave a lot? Yeah, now I'm kind of leaving for good. I hope you're okay with that. And so there was this transitional period where like, should we do long distance, should we do that? And uh, I think her friend just one day was like, ask her out, loser. And so, um, mm -hmm she's very uh she was very traditional so i asked her out in spanish to uh you know in, in front of her mom and uh i pronounced it wrong of course because i'm fucking average <laughs> uh and uh she said yeah and then i left the next day <laughs> and we did a year long distance i moved to burbank to live with dave uh and i got a job at the moving company and uh it was absolutely god-awful brutal work but, um, you know, I had to work construction with my dad growing up. And so I was kind of accustomed to just labor and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, time went on. And I finally asked the question, like, hey, do you want to move in together? Like, do you want to move down here with me? Uh, and she said, yeah. And so after a year, she came down. We got an interim room at a friend's house for a little bit. We found an apartment and uh, pulled the trigger. And uh, she set the bar very high. She helped me out along a lot. And uh, because of her, I can single-handedly attribute her to my promotion at work, um, uh, which led the way to being more financially independent. So shedding off of the old skin of uh, you know not knowing how to have a savings or anything like that you know just normal adult shit and then uh recently our um journey came to an end and uh now exile is working on their uh, well no the record's done actually it's it's going to be out in a week uh the follow-up to satan side 
uh, the illusion of control is slated to arrive uh, 11 2020 and uh yeah so now i'm in a position where i have my own place uh financially independent with lessons learned and i'm in a i'm in a lot better of a place now um in that but also uh mentally because through the gymnastics of everything that comes with the breakup um uh, you know, I, I think I, I learned a lot about my just own psyche as a as a male in 2020, I guess, and uh, mm -hmm. everything that comes along with what you're allowed to do or what you're said to do, and uh, all that comes along with that. So that's, I guess, uh, longer than what I wanted it to be. <laughs> this the story of uh, of how I kind of got to be here in, in this part of the world. Well, that's quite a fucking story. I'm sure a lot of people probably don't expect that you wrote a lot of that album in a fucking stairwell or in a seven by seven by what room? A very small room. Very small room and no one <laughs> like knows. Struggling to be a fucking musician. I'm <laughs> yeah, but you guys are doing really well for yourselves now. You have like a pretty good following going on. And honestly, I'd say you're probably one of the most successful bands to come out of Los Angeles recently, successful metal bands. Um, the only other one that I can really think of that's like kind of gone a little bit mainstream is Ex Mortis. So I'm really proud of you, dude. You've really come a fucking long way. And you Love should be proud of yourself. Guys. I hope that you are, dude. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say I, I wrote a lot more of a safe and sad than I did. I think a lot of it was kind of written before I got there, I just did a lot of the lead work, but I actually did do some uh, some um, song writing on a on a th this next one, and uh, I'm I'm very very happy with the way that uh, that it turned out. Um, it's uh, it's 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 a pretty heavy one uh, lyrically as well as um, uh, as well as the music and everything. And uh, now we even have uh, my friend uh, Tom Tierney on drums, which is really cool. Um, I'm also in another, funny enough, I'm in another band with him called Our Dying World, but in that band, he plays guitar. And um, and then I'm also in another band called Yagikian. What? So I'm in, yeah, so I'm in, I'm in three bands. I, I hold down three bands. Time. Yeah, so I'm in three bands. I hold down uh, uh, the moving job still. Mm -hmm. I worked as a foreman there, uh, truck driver. Uh, and, um, so yeah, the days are days are long and filled with copious amounts of caffeine because <laughs> that's it's the only fun. drug I do is is that. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's fun because now it, it went from like loving playing music to now like oh no, I I can't not play music because if I if I stop, then one of those will will suffer and if one of them suffers with me you know it, it all suffers because i just get weird but uh yeah you geek Ants fun uh we actually just came out with a record as well um so that just drops recently um that's if you're a fan of like motorhead or thin lizzie uh you know just like you know sleep that sort of thing um uh like doomy stoner rock it's it's just really really fun and then uh our dying world is more like a hate breed type of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the really fun. Turn? 
Yeah, yeah, more, more of like a hardcore type of thing. Uh, this mm -hmm. is Stevie, by the way. So, Hi, Stevie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was wondering what she looked like. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of them. The other one's sleeping, just passing out judgments to all the common folk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so I'm in Our Dying World with Tom, uh, in which he plays guitar and writes a lot of everything. Um, mm -hmm. And then now he's in Throne of Exile, where he plays drums. He's what we call multi-talented. <laughs> he's one of those guys that just doesn't suck at anything. Like, he'll pick it up and be like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And you're like, cool, dick. <laughs> cool, sort of, I guess. Right. Awesome, yeah. though. How would you describe your sound for Thrown Into Exile? Because you've been described as, like, thrash and, and kind of, like, metalcore. Would you say that that's accurate? I would say so, yeah. Um, we have been so fortunate enough to um uh thanks to Mario's uh just fortitude and everything uh we've shared the bill um with in flames at the gates um God, wolves in the throne room soul work and uh side by side i, I think it all kind of is cohesive and makes sense on a on a bill mm -hmm. um but then we've also shared uh bill with like bands like cattle decap and like napalm death and stuff like that and even that's somehow made sense so i think it's definitely something where it's malleable to uh, a variety of tastes mm -hmm. and i'm very grateful to be able to um have it to where we can go and you know like shift what songs we do depending on what uh what band we're, we're, we're playing with just to kind of mesh with things and it's not often where we kind of find ourselves in a position where we're like oh yeah i don't know if we can blend in like you know oh, oh no we can we can blend in we'll, we'll just play those songs tonight you know what i mean so it's it's very it's a good balance of um you know it it, it all sounds like it comes from the same band mm -hmm. but it's definitely varied in in that we uh I guess, are able to entertain a variety of different um, tastes. Mm -hmm. And a variety of different fans is probably why you guys have gotten, gotten so big lately. Hopefully, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I, I can't take as uh, much credit for that because I think uh, Mario did a, a lot of the groundwork before I, I even got here. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, uh, funny enough, I, I, I think it, in a way I kind of offset it a little bit because um, I was always more of a blues um, player mm -hmm. than a, a metal player. So I think um, on this new record, when, when you hear uh, my little, um, you know, wiggly woos come up, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's more, um, I guess, feel based now uh, uh, to, to um, not have it be so broad. I, I, I guess um, I made it a point to not, shred so much i made it a point to listen to a lot of what was out there and i guess um kind of take heed to what was being done a lot and say okay so this is what's going down in you know the genre of, of what's going on now i need to do the opposite and so i shut myself off from listening to metal at all during uh the writing of it and i just listened to um bands like uh 
you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and BB King and Rory Gallagher and things like that. And mm -hmm. I really try to immerse myself in that world. And then when it came to uh, the recording, I think that uh, it's, it, it kind of sounds like uh, someone who plays country guitar or blues guitar got a hold of a flying V through a really loud amp and then just tried to make it work. And then, when, <laughs> when, when, and then hearing it back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's actually not bad. It, 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 it fits. You know, and uh, I think that it's accessible to uh, even more taste because it's, uh, you know, it's not just blinding fast stuff all the time, which I can't do anyway. But like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it felt nice to kind of come into my own and that I didn't have to try to, you know, play fast because we're in a metal band and we have to play fast like right. you know no i'm gonna do this because it sounds good and i i like to do it so um that that was a very welcome change for me and i hope to do a lot more of that in the future how did the band feel about it did they like it yeah i think there was definitely times when you know the the producer um jeremy kroll had to kind of rein it back and be like okay th this 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 isn't a you know a one four five blues rhythm like this is this is a metal band you should probably <laughs> go a little bit faster in this section and i'm like all right but um but no I, I think um that might be one of the reasons that uh mario had brought me into the fold because i think he was looking for someone with a certain uh niche style so mm -hmm. me getting the the gig over someone else was very much not th that i was better than anyone because I, I i saw the other applicants and they placed circles around me so for a while i kind of wondered like why and so it wasn't so much that you know i was better it's just like i had a specific thing like mm -hmm. you know you can be the best most vibrant red you can possibly be but if someone's looking for blue you know right. what I mean? And, and, and so with me, it, it wasn't so much about the super shred. It was more about like, I'm just ripping off Steve Ray Vaughn in every way that I possibly know how. <laughs> well, you yeah. had a, you know, a different style and a different musical taste and a, a musical influences. So I'm sure that that reflected on your guitar playing and he was probably looking for something unique and you were able to provide that for him. And it just ended up working out in your fucking favor. So. I'm glad that's all working out for you. Looking forward to listening to your next record. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And I definitely have to check out your other bands. I'm really surprised that I, I didn't know about that. I'm usually like glued to my phone like everybody else, unfortunately. You'd be better about that. Oh, okay. so, yeah, I'll, I'll send you all the all the stuff and, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it should, should, should be a good time. All the things, send me all the things. I will send you all the things. <laughs> so we've gotten personal. We've talked about your music. Now, the meat of this podcast is also about mental health and how musicians struggle with that. And, you know, a lot of the times I feel like people are afraid to talk about it because there's this horrible stigma around, oh, I can't tell people that I'm depressed. I can't tell people that I have anger issues. I can't tell people that I have anxiety because I feel embarrassed or ashamed or alone in my struggling. So I kind of wanted to ask you what you might suffer with and if you know, like the root of your trauma and how you deal with it. Sure. Um, so I would say reverting back to when 
um, uh, Hilton passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, that that moment where uh, that thing broke, uh, I had, uh, I think, had permission, uh, you know, be it subconsciously or, or otherwise, to, uh, you know, show emotion, and in that I just, I just collapsed. I just cried my eyes out. Um, so that theme of, uh, you know, being able to show emotion, I think growing up in a Hispanic household, I don't think that that was necessarily something that was welcomed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this isn't to, uh, you know, place blame on the way that I was brought up. Uh, I try now very hard to not um uh, allow myself to be victimized mm -hmm. that sort of thing and uh i don't i don't find a home in uh being a victim of uh things that have happened to me i uh i try to have the thought of it's not the problem it's the it's my attitude about the problem and i attribute that very much to uh being homeless for a while and really having to kind of be my own, uh, my own hero. And that, um, I, of course, you know, there was, yeah, I, I had a lot of help from, from family and everything like that. But um, there definitely came a time where, you know, no, no one's going to help me but me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I could stay here and sulk and I could feel sorry about myself. But uh, uh, at, at the end of the, of the day, I have to, I have to kind of go and do that so i guess to narrow it down to a few points so the the topic of uh showing emotion so when hilton died i didn't cry for 10 years and that's not an exaggeration at all uh when i got to los angeles i i lost everything that i had placed so much value in uh, and there's that adage that goes, you know, well, if you are what you have and you lose what you have, what are you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of got a good look at myself and I didn't really like what I saw. And apparently neither did um, uh, my ex at the time. And so, you know, found out about what was going on there. And I remember walking down the street and I was listening to a song. Of course, it was a country song. It's always a fucking country song. <laughs> um, and I remember like my face got like really hot. Like, like it, um, I felt my eyes start to kind of like just get, get really warm. And it was a foreign feeling to me because and I thought that I was just, um, I don't know, it was just warm outside or something like that, but it wouldn't go away. And so I stopped and I did this and I went like that and my eyes were wet. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck? And, and so, um, is this? right. So <laughs> lost the truck, lost the girlfriend, lost the guitars. I haven't been sleeping at all because I, you know, work at night and I go to school during the day. I would just wake up from like 15 minute intervals of naps here and there. And I was, I was just, I was losing my mind literally. Mm -hmm. So in broad fucking daylight, I had, uh, I, I guess you can call it an anxiety attack. And 
I was walking down the road, straight faced, tears streaming down my face, fucking crying. And I, I thought I was having a fucking stroke because I hadn't cried in 10 years. And so I didn't know what was happening to me. So I sit down and I call a friend of mine and I go, uh, hey, are, are you busy? And she's like, no. And I, I think I'm crying. And she kind of chuckles. She's like, fuck off, really? And I'm like, no, really. And I'm sitting on a curb in front of a park, like on um, the Long Prey Avenue. And she's like, oh, you're serious. Fuck. What happened? And I'm just like, everything, everything is happening. <laughs> everything is happening all at once. And um, I just, it, it got to the point where I, I didn't have a choice anymore. Like my body overrode my um, stubborn pride and intellect. And it said, no, you're going to do this. Like you have stifled this back for so long. Uh, we're not giving you the choice anymore. We as in, you know, mind, body, and soul and spirit shit. Mm -hmm. And so I walked to school. I'm like, okay, well, fuck it. Uh, you know, yeah, I do the guy thing. I shove it down and go to school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I go to, I go to my class and I, I, I can't, I can't be there. And so I go to the bathroom and I'm thinking of everything and everything's just coming in all at once. And it's, it's like, uh, the, the guy at, at the, at the beginning of the movie, who's like trying to hold the metal door back and all the water's rushing in is like, I can't hold it, captain. You know what I mean? Like that's happening in my head and I'm just sitting there sleep deprived, like caffeinated, <laughs> like, Oh no. And so I go to the bathroom. And I just start bawling my fucking eyes out in this bathroom stall in the Musicians Institute, just like wailing, just like, ah, like 10 years just wow. all comes out. And I'm there, I'm not, I'm, I'm there for like an hour. I skip all my classes and I just go home and I'm, it's this instantaneous feeling of guilt. I don't feel better about doing that. I feel guilty. Because I feel like I've disappointed the prominent male figures in my family. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, none of, like, not Hilton. I know that Hilton would have been totally cool with it. But, like, the other male figures in my family who I have acknowledged as um, someone who I need to um, identify with. I feel like I've disappointed them without them having even been in the room. And so I just, I was like, okay, I'm never going to fucking do that again. And I think a few years later, I went and visited Hilton's grave and I just wanted to tell him so much and I wanted to ask him even more and I couldn't. And seeing him, like seeing his headstone, brushing it off and stuff like that. And then I remember I got to my dad's house, no one was there and I, I let it out again. Mm -hmm. But this time it, it was more just like, you know, like the, I miss you type of cry. It wasn't like a, you know, broad daylight anxiety attack kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and yet again, like I felt a little guilty because of it. And so Fast forward to just recently with uh, the, the breakup and um, 
and and this isn't to slander her or anything like that. Um, one one thing I do want to point out: if you're ever dating someone, um, pay attention to how they talk about their exes, because no matter if it's good or bad, you're next. Um, and that goes for guy, girl, straight, bi, whatever. Like yep. a lot can be told by the way they speak of um, you know family or past mm-hmm. relationships. That's a separate topic. Anyway, so. Um, so I'm at the point then where, um, you know, I'm financially responsible and I'm closer to being who my heroic attributes, um, that I'm striving to uphold. I'm, I'm closer to, to doing that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm, I'm feeling good. And then I think that things are going good and then everything just kind of collapses and now everything's not good at all. And so I'm like, well, why, why isn't it good? I, I should fix it. Like, that's my job is, is to fix things. And then it's like, okay, well, you can't fix this. This isn't something that you can fix. This is out of your control. And so then realizing that again, broad daylight, I'm at work and I start uh, getting that hot feeling in the in the face. I'm like, no, 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 no. And yet again, I feel guilty. And then there was one day where I realized, like, the relationship wasn't over, but it's over, right? Like, you know, you're headed straight for a brick wall. No matter what you try to say or do or lie about, you're 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 going off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And so realizing that, I had that hot feeling again. And um, this time, I, and I don't know why, there was this voice in my head that just was very poignantly honest, saying, "What are you afraid of?" Like, what's, there's nothing on the other side that you should be fearing. Mm -hmm. And so metaphorically, there was this wall. And the wall is this idea that I should be this made of stone, like, you know, like machismo kind of figure, right? And, um, I kind of like logic in a way kind of like turned on me and it was like, you're identifying with and trying to please a version of someone who doesn't even exist anymore. Like they've moved on. They're happy now. They cry now. You know what I mean? Like they, they're more at peace with who they are and you're holding on to for dear life this version of them from like the 90s <laughs> like mm-hmm. stop 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 like it's okay i mean your life is fucking ending as you know it why the fuck not you know what i mean so in a way pain was like the guiding hand of yeah you're already sad. Let's see what's on the other side of this. You know, let's go down this fucking rabbit hole. 
Mm-hmm. And so I remember I was sitting in a car and I gripped the steering wheel and I didn't, for the first time, I didn't try to stifle it back. I didn't try to do that. Like I just went, took a breath and then I let it happen naturally. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, after I didn't feel guilty, I felt like, a teapot that goes had been lifted off and then it goes like that like i felt like the steam was gone when instead i would just leave that coffee pot there and be like okay i'm gonna go to the mall for seven hours i'll see you later (laughs) you know what i mean um so it was cathartic yeah it, it was very cathartic because i that was another, I guess, breaking moment where I let go of that cloud. I let go of that idea that I should be adhering to um, the the outline of what someone else has drawn for me. And oddly enough, I had kind of looked at the world around me and said, you know, you did your very best to try to be this for someone. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. Uh, And you need to realize that you also did it for you. In trying to be this for someone else, you also became it for you. Mm -hmm. So now you need to be your own healer. Again, except now you're not in a box. You have good friends. You're in a better position with your family. You have a decent job. Um, You're about to have your own place against your will. Um, (laughs) But uh, you're going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to, you know, adapt to unhealthy coping mechanisms, uh, except, you know, wildly unhealthy amounts of caffeine uh which i'm sure kidney stones will come and thank me for later but you know live while you're young as they say um so the the i say all that to say this um i've learned that even though i was raised in an environment where, you know, the machismo thing was a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not in that environment anymore. And if I keep bringing that environment into my daily life, it'll never go away. And I say me because I don't want to tell anyone else how to live their life. I mean, it's probably completely different from mine. But what I can say is that this is what I've noticed and I noticed a lot about people who I was around in life, be it intimately or, um, you know, immediate family. I look at where they start and their story and where they came from. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time they're just, they're just like you and me, just doing the best they can. And they're not equipped with certain things. Mm -hmm. they don't know how to 
handle life the way that you do. So a lot of the times I broke my own heart through failed expectations of like, you know, why doesn't he act like me? He comes from a completely different place than you do. Of course, he's not going to act like you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Again, it's it's not the problem. It's my attitude about the problem. And realizing that, you know, the, the world has no obligation to be nice to me or cater to my tender sensibilities. I learned that with my job. You know what I mean? Because my job is in the service industry and it's brutal, hard fucking work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people aren't nice. They just kind of treat you like the hell. They're like, oh yeah, don't break my shit. And they're just on their phone or like on a couch that you have to move and they just won't leave. And you're like, can I move your couch, please? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think labor and blue collar environments like that really breed uh, a, a positive thing. But you, I, I, ha- I had to let it breed a positive thing see that's that's the weird thing about pain and that's the weird thing about trauma is that it can actually be a very beautiful eloquent thing uh and and my eyes um as far as intimately with uh uh women and and growing up you, you know i i was caught in this threshold of you know being a straight man which i didn't choose to be that i just one day it clicked i saw a woman i was like oh boobs that's cool um you know and you know i, I look at a guy i'm just like nothing yeah i, I, I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah, nothing happened yeah it's 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 not my can of coke i don't i don't you know <laughs> but like uh it's it's uh you know that's when i kind of learned about that whole thing like you know because i know people who knew from the very beginning like oh no i like i like that I'm like, okay, cool. I like this. I don't know why I like this, but I like this. Um, but there was a, there there was an event that happened when I was younger, uh, and this comes into the idea that uh, I'm grateful for pain and I'm grateful for trauma and I'm grateful for negativity. Uh, this would be the shining example of that. When I was really young, about eight or nine years old, I lived in this town called Elk Grove, which is um, near Sacramento. And there was this kid who lived around the corner. Uh, his name is Patrick. He had blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, and he was a little bit older, but he, he was, it was kind of weird. He would like sit under a tree and like pick leaves apart and shit. Um, and I was like, you know, taught, you know, you should be his friend because, you know, if anyone's weird and ostracized, you should go and, and go and get that person. You should befriend them and make them not feel alone. And so me being a very naive kid, uh, there was an event uh, that went on for a while, um, repeatedly throughout a few weeks, I think, maybe even months. Um, where there was some uh, abuse from him. And I say that now, and I, I, don't, I, I don't have a shred of uh, shame for it because this is gonna encapsulate my point. So the, the machismo of the family that I grew up in 
dictated that with the female entity, you know, you, sh you should be a certain way. And the way that I saw it contradicted completely what Hilton showed whenever I saw him to Margaret, because with him, it was uh, magic. It was absolute. You couldn't write it for a movie script. It was it was that beautiful. And then with the opposite end, uh, I, I I saw just uh, you know like the idea that it was cool, but it really wasn't. You know what I mean? And so I didn't really find a home in that. But it clicked one day. Like okay, yeah, I I do like girls, but I have this this cloud and you know it, it, it was like i was attracted but I, I i wanted you to go away <laughs> so i was like oh yeah you're really hot they're like yeah do you want to do stuff i'm like oh no <laughs> you know what I mean? i'm like oh yeah like i i want you but i want you from over there like you know you, you know you you know don't touch me but i i, I want you to like me you know what i mean so it, it was this weird thing but I'm grateful for that because it brought me to a lot of the very dear friendships that I hold nowadays because, uh, surprise, I learned that uh, uh, women kind of like it when you don't immediately try to take the clothes off and you look them in the eyes when you talk to them and you don't, uh, you know, try to be a, be a dick. Um, I learned that very quick. Um, and so, had I not had that little cloud of, uh, I guess, fear, well, no, it totally was fear. Like, I, you know, I, I was kind of a late bloomer in that way. I, uh, I didn't lose uh, the V card until I was uh, 17. And even then I couldn't take off like all my clothes. I was, it was a literal fear of being vulnerable with another human being. Um, but I'm, I'm not happy about what happened, but I'm happy about what I learned from it. And what I learned from it was the other side of things. So whenever I've gone on a date, whenever I've been in an interaction with a woman, you know what I mean? Obviously I will never know what a woman has to go through on a daily basis, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I do have an idea of what it is like to be vulnerable what it's like to be um in a state of uncomfortable like un being uncomfortable and so with that said it makes me more aware and attending to my actions with people of the opposite sex um you know if, if i was to go on a date now uh you know there's certain little cues that i think that i've learned along the way that it's like okay this is this is a, a way that this should resolve itself so like if if someone were like to come over like i would sit like across from them and then i would do something to where like you know, the, the leg would be like this and then I would be in like a relaxed 
you know, position or something like that. I wouldn't be like close to them. Like, you know, Oh really? Why don't you tell me? Like, you know, like I wouldn't do that. You know, if I was at a table, sit across from them, you know what I mean? Because I know what it's like on the other side where, you know, you feel the obligation of like, Oh, well, if I'm here, then, you know, this has to be like a physical thing, mm. you know what I mean? And so, um, but from that trauma, being that I'd had um, that experience, um, I've, I've learned little things like that. And I've been told that uh, through an, an, you know, interactions with the, the women who I've known, that that's an appreciated thing. And so when I knew that and found that out, I was like, okay, then this is, this is good. I, I should, I should keep doing this, you know what I mean? And, you know, now, like when I take pictures with, um, people in general, but like, you know, like, especially with women, I do this, you know what I mean? Like, I don't go like, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, you have your hands behind your back or in front of you, you know what I mean? And you kind of, uh, you don't, you don't crowd their space. Everyone has their, their space, you know what I mean? So. Um, and I think over time, uh, you know, we get older and I think humans adapt to new surroundings at the same time, but also at different times. And, um, with, with women, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we all grow into our, our, the vehicles that our ghosts are driving and, um, you know, we feel different things. We you know, hit different milestones and whatnot. And, and um, <clears throat> I try to, uh, especially now that I'm, you know, single again, I try to uh, really just be very aware of the energy that I put off because sometimes I can be the toxic person. You know, I mean, there's things, there was no infidelity between either of us, but, you know, I, I'm definitely not, not a perfect person. And that was another thing with uh, the, the idea of what anxiety is. I would have a lot of the time this idea that I wasn't doing things right or that I wasn't good enough. But then I learned that fucking up is, um, is paramount to growth. Uh, to put it in perspective, like if I was to go on my first day of work at a job that I actually, oddly enough, really enjoy. Uh, I was very naive. I didn't really have a good grasp on anything, really. But I think that I, I have a pre pretty good grasp on it now. And I've been on jobs where I've gotten screamed at or I've gotten yelled at mm -hmm. and uh, where I've broken things you know, where I put a dent in someone's wall, you know what I mean? And, you know, we talked the other day, some things you can't read in a book, you have to experience it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so every time that something happens at work, I go, I'm not going to do that again. Like that sentence, like it's a, it, it's, imagine it as like a, a brick, you know what I mean? So I have built now a wall of that sentence, I shouldn't do that again. I shouldn't do that again. And then it just keeps stacking up. And now 
there will be times when I'm in that situation again. Uh, hypothetically, let's say it's like a mirror. A mirror gets broken because I didn't wrap it correctly or I didn't set it on the wall correctly. So let's say that I break that mirror. And then the next time around, like a few jobs later, I run into another mirror and I go, hmm, what did I do last time? Because last time it didn't work. Mm-hmm. I did this last time. Okay. Well, the mirror broke because I did this. So let me do this. And then we get there, mirror's fine. So now I have overcome that uh, I shouldn't do that. So now I have a victory which rests on the foundation of a series of fuck ups, right? So it's like, fuck-ups are the foundation in which victories stand upon, mm-hmm. right? And that's exactly what really music is. You know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. What do you do when you practice? You play the part over and over again. <laughs> Literally fucking insane. You know what I mean? And so, uh, listen to a lot of the jazz guys, you know, saying, um, you know, like making wrong notes work, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. saying fuck scales, you know, fuck all that shit, you know what I mean? And let's throw a few wrong notes in there and then make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, what is wrong and right? You know, uh, it's all perspective and opinion. You know, you show Miles Davis to someone who doesn't really appreciate that sort of thing. They're going to just be like, what is this? Just noise. You show it to someone else you know, make it a different reaction. But the cure for my anxiety, number one would be humor. You know, always just keep, you know, the sense of humor about everything because we're all going to die in the end and there's no sequel. Number two, um, recognize that I uh, I can be the problem sometimes. You know, I, it's it's not good for me to point the finger and say like, oh, well, you know, he did this or like, I'm not where I want to be because of this person. No, I'm not where I want to be because I didn't bring myself there. So it's not so much, it's, it, it's, it's a balance. It's a balance of being not like, you know, um, aggressively stern or strict. It's more about just being honest and just, you know, instead of like screaming and assuming that a louder voice makes you more correct, just going and saying, no, okay, so this happened and here's why. So next time, don't do that. And then that problem is now resolved. And you can be proud of, you know, you can kind of laugh at it later be like, yeah, I totally put a hole in that guy's wall. But then next time I took the legs off of the thing and and it was fine. You know what I mean? So, um, for me, that's a that's a big cure for anxiety is just being self-aware or me me being self-aware and um, having the fortitude to learn from my mistakes and carry the attributes of someone who I really care about, which is uh, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the pain of loss, the pain of a loss of uh someone who you loved or someone who I, I loved, you know what I mean? Uh, I 
have definitely had thoughts of like, you know, like, oh, my life is over, you know, like things that you think of when you go through a breakup and stuff like that. But then it's like, this, this is going to, this is happening for a reason. You may not know the reason yet. Um, but it, this is going to be whatever I'm going to make it be. Mm-hmm. And it will not be any, anything else because just like when I was homeless, just like when I'm on a stage, no one's going to come and save me. I have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And if I go, well, you know, I don't want, you know, I don't want to do this by myself, then I'm not ready for life, which is a, a, a hard truth. But it's like, if I'm going to crumple at the, the noise of someone, you know, saying a racial slur to me, which has happened. I mean, grew up in a rural area and I dated a black girl in high school, you know, there was some words thrown my way, you know what I mean? But I couldn't look back and go, you know, oh yeah, that, that crushed me. And, you know, like I still hold on to it to this day. And, you know, it sucked at the time, but at, at the same time, it's not a crime to be a dick, you know what I mean? And, you know, I mean, jokes on them. I had a hot black girlfriend, so <laughs> fuck off. You know what I mean? So, and that's, that's the thing about trauma too. It's like, uh, it taught me that, yeah, the real world isn't fucking nice <laughs> and it doesn't, it's not obligated to be nice to me. And if I go around pointing my finger saying, uh, you know, oh, well you, you shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't say that. I could say that and they'll just be like, fuck you. And they're going to do it anyway, because <laughs> that's how some people operate. Um, and so that taught me a lot too. I mean, if someone, you know, what, what are words? It's air, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, okay. If it's not true, don't react to it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a half breed, I guess, you know, I'm this race and I'm that race, you know, I've been called, you know, every name un, un, under the sun. And I've noticed that anyone who ever said anything never did anything. Mm-hmm. right they would just stand there and they would just blow smoke into the air and i'm just like okay yes i i am equipped to hop fences and uh i do work really hard and i do like basole and uh, <laughs> things like that it's like is that a problem yeah you know who doesn't like you know parties where a bunch of people show up to your house and you know drink and eat asada like that's that's awesome <laughs> um but that's when humor comes into play and humor definitely can defeat trauma. It's it's defeated mine uh, in lieu of like, you, you know, like if something uh, terrible has happened, like the, the, the abuse from that, like uh, I'm gonna tell a terrible joke here and I'm probably gonna get canceled for this, but uh, mm-hmm. I, have, I have a friend of mine who has really helped me kind of find a, a center in me, which I can find a home in and uh, I remember when I was, it was one of the first persons I've ever told about that. Um, and I told him uh, what happened. And I told him that it was a kid, uh, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed uh, kid. Mm-hmm. And, it, and he goes and he pauses for a second. He's like, oh, well, at least it wasn't like a guy with a big dick. <laughs> and I, I like had the shock of like, 
you know, like what he said, but then like something miraculous happened. I laughed and I didn't feel bad anymore. You know what I mean? And like, he wasn't wishing that upon me, but it's like, he made me feel better about the situation because the situation has already happened. I can't change it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's like, why drag it on with this negative light? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and he said, imagine that, that event as like a person that's standing in like the corner of your room and he has red eyes and he's always there and he never talks, but he just looks at you, just stares at you like this. And he's just this formless red eyed thing. That's just always there because you, you let him in your house. Mm -hmm. You let him stay there. Now imagine one day you stand up and you turn the lights on and he's still this red eyed figure and you just go, (laughs) and then he just goes like, what are you doing? Why are you laughing? And, and then I go, you have no power here. Get out. That's what humor is. Trauma is that guy in the corner of my room that I choose to let hang around. Humor is turning on the lights. Humor is laughing at him and being like, you have no fucking power here. Get out. You know what I mean? That's the way metaphorically, if I could put it into terms like that, that's how I see it. You know, someone, you know, uh, calls me a racial slur. Okay. Here one moment, gone the next. You know, still got two arms, still got two legs, still still look like Jesus. What else you got for me? You know, I, you know, it's just, who cares? Laugh at it. You know, you make mistakes, you fuck up, learn from them, you know? An error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. You know what I mean? And if, if I fuck up, I own that I fucked up. And I'm going to go, okay, won't do that again. And then I don't do it again. And then it's fine. I'm, I'm a series of flaws stitched together with good intentions. That's all I am. You know what I mean? But I'm self-aware, you know, and I, I understand that there's no such thing as a perfect person. No such thing as a perfect man, perfect woman. And I'm not out trying to find the perfect woman. I'm focused on trying to be uh, a good man. If I keep my focus on that, things will, things will be okay. You know what I mean? But depression is real. You know, there is a cloud over my head sometimes. You know what I mean? And it's not that I'm looking for a cure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know it's probably not going to be a cure. You know what I mean? I don't smoke. I don't take uh, pills to it. And I want to be clear, I'm not against that because I've known uh, people who do both things. I've known people who do uh, the, the medicine and it works for them. I know the people who smoke or, you know, do stuff like that. That works for them. Cool. Works for you, works for you. And I'm all for it. But, um, you know, uh, caffeine and music and going for a walk and listening to BB King for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's that's about all I need. You know what I mean? And um, I'm learning to access these parts of my human experience because that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm 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 having a a human experience. You know what I mean? I was somewhere else before I was here. You know what I mean? And I don't know where that was, and I don't know if I need to know. You know what I mean? And there's people who have this idea 
of where they were before they got here. And that's great because it works for them. Uh, and if I had to give an answer like, well, what happens when we die? Well, the people that love us will miss us and I'll go back to wherever I was before I got here. And that's all that I really know. But being that I genuinely don't know, I'm just gonna be the best, you know, whatever I am that I can uh, while I'm here. Uh, so anyway, so, so to, to, to put it in focus, um, there is uh, a remedy, maybe not a cure, but a remedy to uh, the anxiety and depression that I, that I do feel, which is very real um, because I've tried denying it and that's even worse. You, I, I don't, I don't want to do that again because then, you know, the 10 years thing happens where I'm walking down the street and then just fucking, ah, you know, like, that's not good. <laughs> like that, That's a real thing too. Um, but I'm not ashamed to admit trauma. I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm upset. I'm not ashamed to admit anything like that anymore because I, I don't have a home in um, the ghosts of past uh, toxicity that was bred into my head for a time and that I chose, frankly, to carry around with me because I was afraid of what was on the other side. Now I've seen the other side. Not so bad. <laughs> I feel better. You know, I, I, I feel better about it, about everything. And uh, all that I want and all that I need is kind of already already here i just had to kind of open the door i just didn't know where the key was you know what i mean but now it's just um laughing at uh at pain but also listening to it and being thankful for it because uh what was that thing uh there's i i speak in metaphors and quotes i'm sorry uh, there's that saying. Uh, there's this thing where it goes. Um, long ago, someone handed me a box of darkness, and it took me years to realize that this too was a gift. And I love that because it is. You just have to pay attention to the lesson, or I have to pay attention to the lesson, because for a while I just I felt I I no, I chose to be burdened by it. Which is like, I choose my words carefully because that's exactly what I did. Over and over, time and time again, I chose to be burdened by it instead of sitting with it like you would someone at a table and be like, why are you here? What are you, what are you doing? What do you want? What are you trying to show me? And, you know, you're, I, I, I've been shown things uh, differently than other people have been shown things. You know, I mean, there's some people who don't know what it's like to be objectified, to be, you know, put in a corner and felt vulnerable, you know, to have someone like, you know, put their arm around you when you don't want it to and be like, hey, you know what I mean? That's a very uncomfortable feeling for people. You know what I mean? And it's uh, uh, something that I'm grateful to have experienced because I know how that feels for other people uh, when they're in that situation. And so now I even more so know not to uh, not to do that. 
I've been talking for a long time. I do apologize. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so many things that you just said right now were like so. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. Jesus Christ. It's like we're on the exact same wavelength of like becoming self-aware and you fucking listen to Jordan Peterson. I know you do. Oh yeah, totally. Because Jesus Christ, like a lot of the lessons that I'm always talking about him and how like, you know, he's helped me grow as he's helped me grow so much recently because I recently started listening to him and just like everything that you're saying fucking resonates with me so deeply and we have I mean uh, you know I don't I don't play in a band and and I'm not from up north or anything but we have a lot of things in common you know I also experience sexual abuse and I feel like we're in the same place in life versus where we used to be like you're talking about how if I could call it a demon I've always called it a demon you know the the past trauma that I've experienced it's like it only has power over you if you because you allow it because you allow it and and for so many years i didn't realize that that was the case you know i didn't realize that i was allowing it to keep affecting me and you're so right it's like you hang on to to this past version of somebody that no longer exists and at some point you just have to let them go and it's like Personally, I still haven't been able to do that. And I'm sure that, you know, my abuser is a completely changed individual. And I've always hoped for like the courage to be able to like face him and forgive him. And I just, you know, because this, it was, I don't mean to make this about me, but it, it's a little bit no, more complicated. No, no. You're, you're good. Well, it's just a little bit more complicated because it's like somebody that's still, uh, it's like distant family. You know what I mean? So it's not somebody that I could avoid forever. And so Jesus Christ, just everything that you said was so inspiring. And I could not have asked for like a better, a better person to talk to. Like, I know you're helping me. (laughs) You're helping me. And I feel I was just trying to hold back my tears because I'm so overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude because Jesus Christ, dude, you're such a beautiful fucking soul. And like, I'm so grateful to call you my friend. Like, and I'm sorry, I'm getting all, I told myself I wouldn't cry. I told myself I would try not to cry. You're good. You're good. But you know, yeah. (laughs) Just, you know, when I started, when I came up with the idea for this podcast, it's like, I think Jill Jadis from Huntress had just died and she had, um, committed suicide and I kept seeing all these posts about how there needs to be like more mental health awareness and you know a bunch of musicians were talking about how there needs to be more mental health awareness and I was like you know what I struggle with mental health and I really want to like help people and yeah there does need to be more mental health awareness especially I think within the metal community because we don't really talk about it here let alone anywhere else you know but there's like podcasts that talk about mental health and podcasts that talk about metal and, you know, a bunch of uh, 
musician interviews, but I don't think there's been anything that's kind of like blended the two together. So like, I don't want to think that I'm, I have this great original idea, but I really feel like there's a, a big hole within our community because I think a lot of us are drawn to this aggressive style of music because we've experienced trauma, because we struggle with depression, because we struggle with anxiety, because we struggle with self-harm, because we've been abused, because our dads were fucking assholes or we didn't have dads, you know what I mean? And there's, there's this big fucking hole in the middle that is only filled with, through music, you know? And, and music has, music fucking saved me. I, obviously it's fucking saved you. And you're yeah. such a fucking talented musician. And I just feel so grateful to like know you. And I don't mean to like blow you up or anything, but Jesus Christ, dude, I'm going to like, I'm going to watch this all over again because, you know, I'm going to edit it. And you just, you've provided so much wisdom and I, I know it's going to help people. And I could not have asked for like a better first fucking guess. Like I don't, I was going to record my own episode. How, how am I going to follow this? <laughs> how am I going to follow the wisdom of Raymond Anthony Sanchez from Thrown Into Exile? And, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I just, I'm sure people think of you a certain way, you know, because you're like this handsome guitar player from a fairly successful band from Los Angeles and it's so hard to make it and da da da, you know? So for you to share your fucking struggles about how you were homeless and how you've been abused and how you had to deal with toxic masculinity. It just, it's really going to open the eyes for a lot of people that sort of glorify this lifestyle. You know what I mean? People just romanticize being a fucking musician and being a rock star. And it's just, it's not so fucking easy, you know, and it comes with a lot of fucking hard work and struggle and, and you have to, you have to sacrifice so much to be able to like live this kind of lifestyle. And it's a very privileged lifestyle once you make it, but you can't, it doesn't come easily. You know what I mean? So you're just like a prime example of like how you really could go from not having fucking anything to being in a really good fucking place, you know? <sighs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you so much for being patient because, you know, we were having technical issues yesterday. And most of all, thank you so much for like being brave enough to be vulnerable and share your story with people. You You're have very, very welcome. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I'm sure it's going to mean so much to some other people. And I just, oh, I can't wait to like get this up and going and posting it and, and sharing the shit out of it. And I'm just so excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Jed. This was awesome. Okay. So <laughs> this is the part where you plug things. All right. Um, you had mentioned that you have some albums coming out. Tell everybody again. Tell us where we can find you. All the things. Oh, yes. Okay. So um, Instagram handle would be uh, at bodega underscore Ray, which is a play on the actual place. Uh, Bodega Bay in uh, Northern California. So that's kind of funny. Um, I am uh, in three bands, uh, the main one being a Throne into Exile. Uh, Yigikian is also another one. And then uh, Our Dying World. Um, Throne into Exile's new uh, sophomore album, Illusion of Control, drops 11-2020. Uh, Yigikian's uh, 
I believe it's called um, The Essentials, uh, has already uh, been out. Uh, it's on vinyl, got t-shirts and all the works. And then Our Dying World is currently writing music. So um, uh, music uh, saved my life just as much as it did Jade's. And uh, it's uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to be in multiple bands with a lot of my friends. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And if you're into you know, more of the rock, stoner stuff, uh, Geeky In is your way. Fans about the gates and flames, soul work, machine head, that'll be thrown in exile. If you're into more of like the Slayer, hate breed type thing, our dying world will definitely be your speed. But um, I'll close by saying uh, I'm very grateful to Jade for having me on. And I, I wish you all the best of luck with everything. Uh, there's nothing in this whole world that you can't do. And um, to anyone who is seeing this, um, you matter. And anything that you can physically walk away from has no mastery over you. You are amazing. And uh, no matter what you're going through, if you're going through it, you're going to make it. So Fuck yeah. There you go. Fuck yeah. Thank you, Raymond. I'll be sure to include the links below in the description. So be sure to check that out, guys. Please follow Raymond. He's like super fucking talented and obviously just a fucking awesome individual. Thank you again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you made it all the way through, I know it's a long form podcast. I know it's like the first episode, and I know I've kind of been talking about this for like two years. So you probably like gave up on me a long time ago. So if you're still here and you supported, I really hope that you gained some knowledge and wisdom out of this. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks, guys.